This episode is brought to you by my wonderful patrons. Thank you so much to my patrons. They make this podcast possible and also very fun to do because we are able to interact on a private discord where we can talk, discuss topics, and just in general help each other collect the things that we want. So thank you so much to everyone who participates there. I couldn't appreciate you more. This episode is also brought to you by myself. If you haven't already heard, I've been working on a passion project called Cardfolio. It's going to be an app that'll let you scan your cards onto your phone and add them to your virtual binder. Your virtual binder allows you to keep track of not only what you own, but you'll also be able to keep track of what you need. Are you chasing a shadowless master set? If so, Cardfolio will be able to help you keep track of your progress towards your goal so that it makes it easier to achieve it. Cardfolio doesn't just catalog your collection and manage your collecting goals, it will also allow you to see your collection like an actual investment portfolio. This means you'll be able to see how much your collection is worth, how that value has changed over time, and how your collection value breaks down by item type. For example, how much do you have in raw cards versus slab cards versus sealed items? If all of this sounds like an app you would like to download, then join my early access waiting list. I'll keep you updated with app progress, mockups, and when it's available, early beta access. So it'll be fun and it'll be great. The link for the early access waiting list will be in the description below. So go ahead and sign up if that's something that you're interested in. Hello, my friends, and welcome to season three of the Geeked Out Collecting Podcast, where we apply financial and investing principles to our favorite hobby collectibles like Pokemon, Magic the Gathering, comic books, Fortnite cards, you name it, we talk about it all. Thank you so much for being here. I am your host, Jess. So let's get started with collecting things that we love like damn adults. Here's today's episode. they've never met you and they are gonna love you I I know this for sure because you're so knowledgeable but Evan I was hoping that you could tell us a little bit about you um because you do a lot of things online which is really cool and interesting and then I guess we can talk a little bit about you know your collecting because you do collect Pokemon you've got that PSA 6 first edition Charizard PSA 4 PSA 4 either way still bomb but anyways yeah if you could (laughs) let us know sure um, I'm glad you asked. I'm super stoked to be here because I really enjoyed the first time we got to talk. My my listeners got to learn so much about programming and code and like having you on was just amazing. So I appreciate the chance to get to talk to you again. It's really cool. So let's see. I've been an entrepreneur my whole life. I've been doing stuff, selling lemonade, mowing lawns, working in, you know, selling food, like whatever I could come up with, you know, it's just selling pot in high school, you know, whatever it is that could make me money and I could be able to get a leg up and try and dig out of this rat race that I was in, I was trying it. I didn't know what it was called at the time. I was just trying to make a buck. And so um, trying jobs, 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 jobs. And then finally, you know, um, after working a bunch of different jobs, you know, I'm like, oh man, I'm getting tired of working just jobs, man. And, you know, what am I going to do as a career? And that's, you know, my old man's influence. He's a baby boomer. He's a 
he's the of the generation where you you work hard, you go to school, you graduate with a bunch of debt, and then hopefully you're able to pay off that debt and retire with a meager salary and afford your health insurance. And so I'm like, okay, sounds great. Let's fucking go. And so I moved away and to become a fireman. So, um, so we get in this academy, it's this grueling, there's like 30 of us and, you know, we have to go through it in order to become a firefighter. You have to go through the fire academy. You have to go through all these, 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 take these steps. And when it was all said and done, we wanted to commemorate that experience. And so we, I made this big walnut eight, you know, my wood shop, and I really wanted to wood burn our motto in together in together out. I really did. And I grabbed my soldering iron and I plugged it in and I heated it up and, I screwed up the entire project. I screwed it up and I had to start over from scratch. And I was like, then there's got to be a better way to wood burn this motto in. And my wife and I started doing a little research and we put together a chemical formula that allowed us to do it with just heat. And so we, we draw, we would paint on this formula with this stencil and then we would apply heat with a heat gun and then it would burn the wood only where we drew. It was super cool. And the project looked great. It turned out amazing. But out of all of that, um, we created this product, Scorch Marker. And so it allows you to draw on wood, apply heat, and then the wood burns only where you drew. Wow. And so it's kind of a cool, like, little new crafting product. So they looked very different when we first started, I guarantee you. <laughs> um, but it was the reason I bring it up is because it was the product that allowed us to, um, that finally gave us a chance to kind of grow it into a company. It was something that it was working. You know, uh, aside from all those other side jobs we've done in the past. <laughs> and so while I was a fireman over like the last three or four years, we were working on this company on the side and building it up. And then last year, the company became so profitable that it was time for me to leave the fire department because the fire department was now holding me back. It was holding me back from what I really wanted to do, which is build businesses and teach other people how to build businesses. And so I left. My wife That's... and I made a collective decision. Yeah, it was... Uh, <laughs> That's amazing. Um, is is your scorch pen? Can you find it in retail, or is it only online, or do you do direct to uh, consumer? We sell. We started out selling on Amazon of all places, um, just out of ignorance, and then we sold on our website. And now we're in Michaels and Hobby Lobby, and we had did some stuff with Home Shopping Network, and so we're like we're growing, and That's awesome. we have employees <laughs> and systems, and we're learning about how to run businesses. So. While we're doing this, um, you know, the pandemic starts to happen and I get on TikTok and I'm still at the fire department. So I'm sitting there and refilling helicopters on this wildland assignment and I'm snapping some videos of it. Right. And I put it up on TikTok for fun and it got like 60,000 views. And I was like, what? I was like, what? There's a tension here. And so I'm like, fuck this. I'm not going to talk about firefighting anymore. I'm over it. Like my heart's not there anymore. I want to talk about business. So I started talking about business on TikTok. And that's how this brand started. My, my personal brand, putting myself out there, helping people with the foundation and the core fundamentals so that they could remove that fear of not wanting to start. That's what it was for me. It was just afraid because I didn't know what steps to take to start. And so I was just stayed in that permanent side hustle mentality. That was my life. Right. Um, but now that I know what to do, I can teach other people and give them, uh, you know, empower them to make their own decisions. And I think that's really cool. So that's how it kind of all started, reading a couple <laughs> books and and TikTok. <laughs> that's awesome. Wow. God, I bet you got some really awesome or very um, 
interesting clips from like on TikTok from when you so you were in the helicopter, you were firefighting up in the helicopters or no, I wasn't in the helicopters. The um I was down on the ground. So I was working for I got put on a water tender to go shuttle water back and forth. And then we had these big things called pumpkins. They're 3000 gallon foldable pools that we put out. And then we dump all the water in there. And then we have the helicopter come in and they have a snorkel, a big long straw. And they just like hover down, suck up a couple thousand gallons of water. And then they go drop it on the fire. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. That's that sounds like a lot of work. But that's that's awesome work, though. That That's amazing. But I'm glad that you're able to make the transition because it is a really scary thing. I mean, even for myself, it's it's super scary to take that leap into kind of the unknown into a new life. And Mm -hmm. one of the reasons why I wanted to bring you on is because I know a lot of people on here um, and through other people that I met in the hobby, they love Pokemon cards. They yeah. have them, they own them, they collect them. I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, so do you too. I, I don't know if you deal, but but what they also do is they also deal cards too. So they're making a little bit of a side income, you know, whether or not they, it is just more so because of the opportunity, um, right. you know, to kind of flip a card at a really great price, or if that's something that they really love to do. It's, it's honestly something, it's kind of nice to deal into a market that you collect in because you get to know a little bit more about that market, a little bit more of the ins and outs of it. Mm -hmm. And that was one of the great reasons why I wanted to have you on was because they are doing those things. And now with new changes in policy for, you know, people who I think are, I think the number might be $600. You know, if you're earning more than $600 on PayPal, now you really have to start paying attention to the taxes, to how all of those things, you know, play into it. Because right now, I don't think eBay puts out 1099s, but I think eBay and PayPal might, I don't know if eBay, but I think PayPal definitely will start doing that now um, because of new rules and new laws that are in place. And those are some things that you have to think about. And, you know, if you're selling like, you know, over a thousand dollars or a few thousand dollars worth of cards, depending on what you have, like now you have to start thinking about it like a business. Right. which Let's is, talk which about is, that six hundred dollars too, because yeah. I think it's really important that we shed some light on it. The whole ten ninety nine thing is that that six hundred dollars it's a special number, and so at any time during the year, if you pay someone six hundred dollars or more, you have to ten ninety nine them. You have to tell the government that you paid them money, otherwise you're going to be on the hook for the taxes. So if I hired you to write some code for me and I paid you a thousand bucks, and I pay you under the table and I don't tell the government, the government's going to expect me to pay taxes because I earned thousand dollars, but mm-hmm. If I fill out a 1099 and I say, no, 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 I paid Jess that $1,000, tax her. They say, okay, you don't have to pay the tax. We'll tax Jess. And that's what PayPal's doing. And that's what eBay hasn't really been doing yet. But that's what Amazon does too. Like all these companies are sending out 1099 so that the taxes can be correct. So it's, you're hundred percent right. Like if you're, if you're selling more than $600, like yeah, you got to start treating it like, like a business and you need to uh, be cognizant of how you're dealing with the money. So how do you deal with it? Um, For me, I don't sell. Okay. <laughs> or I don't okay. sell that much. But as I get in throughout the year, I'm starting to, to get rid of a few things, things that, mm-hmm. you know, are not really that personal to me that I don't really need that, you know, I can do without. And then I know I will, you know, 2X or 3X, you know, because of my original entry point. So, but now I do have to start thinking about those things. I will at some point this year have to start thinking about those things. Um, and so I, so as far as that goes, I mean, 
So when it comes to the $600, if like, let's say you sell, you pay someone $200 and then you pay someone $400, are you 1099 each of those people if you PayPal them for your items? Or is it just when it's over that 600 and then now you have to, for any, like for, for all future transactions that you need to do that for? It's $600 per person per calendar year. Mm, okay. 600 per person per calendar year. So for example, like I've had workers for me that work for me that don't want to get taxed and they're like, well, I don't want to pay taxes. And I'm like, well, I mean, what do you want me to do? <laughs> I was like, here's what we do. How about I write a $600 check to you? Um, I'll write a $600 check to your brother, to your kid, to your husband, to your aunt. And so to keep it under that limit and you won't have to pay taxes and I won't either. Uh-huh. That's that's one way people get around it, but it's messy and it doesn't always work. Um, so directly answer your question. Um, if you're paying people less, an individual less than 600, you're good. It doesn't need to be documented. Only when mm-hmm. it goes above and beyond. Mm-hmm. So then if someone is deciding to, hey, I want to start a eBay side business because I have okay. all these cards that I've collected over the years, you know, what are the mm-hmm. first things that they need to do and consider? Because let's say they have anywhere between $2,000 to $5,000 worth of product that they could mm-hmm. that they could realize um, in sales. I mean, what are, do they have to think about opening up an LLC? Do they have to operate like a business at that point? Well, you don't have to. You don't have to. And an LLC isn't mandatory for everybody. And some people probably won't be right for. But I'm a huge fan. I'm a huge fan because LLCs give you protection. They, what, it, what it does is it just creates an entity that's separate from you. And it gives you the opportunity to like basically make a copy of yourself, more or less, in a company form, and then start treating it like a business. And the cool thing about LLCs is they allow you to do great things in the future too, like S-Corps and change your tax status and you know mm-hmm. awesome stuff that saves you a ton of money. But in the beginning, most people just sell cards as themselves, right? They'll just jump on eBay and link up their personal bank account and start selling cards as themselves. And, and that's okay. Um, but if you start to make some serious money, if you start to, if you're making um, like more than like a thousand bucks a month, like it would, it would make sense to get an LLC to at least separate it and protect yourself so that in case you start blowing up and making a bunch of money, you can take advantage of all these cool tax laws that are available for you. Um, but we don't really make a ton of changes until you're making about 50,000 in profits or more. Once you get to that mark, that's when it's like, all right, let's start putting like corporations in place so that we don't have to pay as much money in taxes. And that's when you're really going to start feeling it. Um, when you have like significant profits, Mm -hmm. you know, right. But until then, like, yeah, analyses are, I, 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 I'm of the, mindset that everybody should learn how to open an LLC because it's a it's a fundamental core principle of just doing business in America. It helps to know it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And even opening up an LLC is a little intimidating because it's like, okay, mm-hmm. what are the fees? How do I do it? Where do I go? You know, what else do I need? How do I prepare, mm-hmm. you know, these filings? Cause you have to prepare quarterly filings. Um, mm-hmm. but, but I, I agree with you. I think it's a, it's a great fundamental skill. I know, I know for myself, my first LLC, I filed through legals and we talked yeah. about this before, but now that I've seen the paperwork, I, I see everything, what goes into it. I, you know, I'm just ready to do it myself, you know? Mm-hmm. So there are a few more that I'm going to need to open up in the next few, like six to six to 12 months from now that I already know, like, it's okay. You know, I can do this. I can do that. Um, you know, I know how much this is going to cost me here. And honestly, there's a ton of information online. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, especially through your state, wherever you're deciding to actually file for and, and fun fact is 
I live in the state of Illinois. I registered my LLC through the state of Illinois. It required a registered agent. And at first I wasn't too sure. I'm like, okay, let me just pay LegalZoom to do that because I don't have to deal with it. But I learned that you can actually be your own registered agent, which Very was true. really cool because you you could save yourself money because really what that person is, is they're just an entity, something where they can send official documentation. So if your address is up to date and you don't plan on moving anytime soon and not, you're not worried about stuff getting lost in the mail because redirecting, you know, mailing addresses, you don't have to pay anyone to be your own registered agent. You can just be one yourself. You could be your own, yep. which I really liked. Yeah, I really like that. The only downside to being your own registered agent is that now your address is public record because of how you set up your company. Mm-hmm. But I mean, if that's okay, if you're okay with that, then yeah, you're, you're hundred percent on track. And then you can go to the full opposite side of the spectrum where you can pay a company to be a registered agent. You can pay a company to give you a mailing address where they scan and open your mail and email it to you. And you can live in a completely different place and have a company in another state where everything just goes to because you're paying people to do it for you. Oh, yeah, that's right. I remember the last time we talked, you had talked about that specifically. Uh, do you mm-hmm. go through any other states outside of California? You do, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, for the for my companies that do business in California, I have to have a California LLC. But for like my personal brand, my holding company, it's a Wyoming LLC because it doesn't do business in any one specific state physically. It does business internationally. So um, I opened it up in Wyoming and I pay people to take my mail over there for me because it's more affordable and I like the anonymity that Wyoming provides. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, so as far as someone opening up an LLC because they want to have an eBay side business, should they or is there any benefit to having an EIN number from the IRS? I think there is. So when someone starts a company, um, there's kind of like a five step checklist that I talk about. And I probably talked about this with you before, but there's like five things that if you're going to go down this path and you want to be legit, this is what you got to do. And the first one is, is you open up an LLC. You just open up an LLC in your state and you get that over with. And that's the only thing that's really going to cost you a bunch of money because um, it's the most expensive part. And then you go get an EIN, which is free, which you've done from the IRS, totally free. And that gives you a social security number for that LLC, makes it legit. Now that you have an LLC and a social for it or an EIN, you can walk down to a bank or a credit union and you get a bank account. Or you can even open one up online. Like if you don't want to go down there, that's fine. So now you have a way to take money. Your LLC is official. Um, then what? You're going to want to check and see if there's any like locals, like city permits you need to run a business out of your house. Because sometimes those are required. Sometimes, you know, um, you just want to pay the man. And then last step is you just want to keep good records. You want to make sure that you know where the money's coming from, where the money's going out. And the way that you do that in my mind is if it's a business expense, if it's something you're spending to run your business, then you spend it out of the business account. If it's a personal expense, like toothpaste and a hoodie, you know what I mean? Like spend it out of your personal bank account. And if you ever need money for your personal bank account from your business, you just simply transfer it over, call it an owner's draw, and you're good. Because realistically, if whatever the business makes is what you make, you Mm -hmm. you and the business are going to be on one tax return. And so leaving money in your business account is not going to stop it from being taxed that year. That's what I Mm -hmm. thought when I first started. And oh my gosh, was I so wrong. (laughs) Um, because there are so many mistakes that I made. There are so many mistakes. And that was one of the big ones. But yeah, that's, that's how I would like set it up. If you're looking towards becoming an LLC, that's what I would do. 
Okay, that that makes sense. And I think and I think for me too, um, you know, come next year, I have to look at or at least for my LLC that that I just created. I think I do have to still even though I haven't gotten any income in because I'm putting um I'm investing money into the business, so I'm not and I don't expect to be making income anytime soon. Right. Um for those things you still have to declare those things in a 1099, right? You still have to let mm-hmm. the government know that you're I mean, even even with the filings as well, that you have to let them know, like, hey, you know, this is the money that I put into the business. The business didn't make any money, so that at the very least, that you you have everything tightened up, and yep. and and pretty much pretty in a bow, so that the government doesn't come back and say, hey, we needed this paperwork. You didn't send us this paperwork. Mm-hmm. Are there? Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm guessing there's got to be, you know, repercussions to that if you're not making sure that your paperwork is clean and good and up to date because. Um, surely the IRS would come and find you. <laughs> They're pretty good at it. Um, you know who's really good at it though is states and local governments, like sales mm-hmm. tax. Like states are even they're way better at it than the IRS. They're they will hammer you first if you're not paying <laughs> like state taxes. Um, but I I like the way you put that. You know, um, making sure they know what you've done, making sure they know that you're trying to make this business legit and what you've put into it by quarterly filing, and even if you put money into a company and you're not making any money out of it, you can show a loss on your tax returns up to $5,000 for the first year. Mm-hmm. And so you can literally dump $5,000 of your money into this business to try and make it work and show a $5,000 loss at the end of the year and it will offset your income. And that's okay, but you have to keep track of it. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And it's only, so it's only a 5,000 limit in the first year. Does that change after the second, third, fourth it changes when you start to have more gross receipts. So mm. if you like um if you make more than 40,000 in a year in income, but you're still showing a loss, you can show more than 5,000, but you need to have more money coming in in order to push above that $5,000 limit. Mm. Mm. Okay. So if you only have made $10,000, you can show up to a $5,000 loss. If you only right. made $39,000, you can show up to a $5,000 loss, but then it starts to tear up after 40. Mm, okay, gotcha, gotcha. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. So then, um, you know, one of the things I actually thought was really cool with eBay because um, at first, like when I was connecting my account through eBay, you know, you could only well for me, I was only using PayPal because that's all that I had yeah. available. But to me, but now they want you to move completely just to you know an actual bank account. So mm-hmm. it is really nice that if you do have an LLC and you get you know an actual account for the business that you can completely separate it. And I mean, Mm -hmm. we talked about this before using Hashcard. I finally got mine in a few weeks ago. It takes a little bit of time to go through the process. Yeah. But it's so nice because then you can just operate exclusively out of it and you don't have to Mm -hmm. worry too much about the accounting because you can go back in and just see all the activity. Now I have activity from, from before then because I yeah. wasn't always LLC, but I mean, you know, as long as you have good records of things then you should be fine. But, um, you know, as far as what you use, I think we talked about this before you do tend to use QuickBooks though, to, to like manage all of those, like, uh, all, you know, all your transactions travel or anything that's necessary. Mm-hmm. I really like the way you said that, Jess, like you have this shit figured out. You're killing it. And I am really impressed. And I think you are setting out a fantastic example. Like, I love it. So, yes, <laughs> now that that's said, I use QuickBooks to manage all those transactions because there's so much that comes in and out of the account eventually. Um, you're just like, uh, 
And so I have a bookkeeper, Marissa, and she goes through every month and logs into all of my different QuickBooks for all my different companies and make sure that all the transactions are put in the right places. And mm-hmm. then at the end of the year, I take those reports and I give them to my tax guy, my CPA. And then he's the one who looks at those reports and helps me save as much money as possible when telling the IRS how much money we owe them. Because that's really your job. It's your job to tell the IRS how much you owe. Right. And so, right. yeah, the more you know about the tax code, the less you have to pay. Did you have to do a lot of studying of the tax code initially when you first got started? I had to study. I spent a lot of time on the IRS website. I spent a lot of time reading. I put myself through a $5,000 class from uh, from the author of the book, Tax-Free Wealth, who is um, Rich Dad Poor Dad's tax guy. And so I learned from him and through him, I started to learn like the surface level stuff. I started to understand entities. I started to understand why taxes exist in the first place, you know, just as a government incentive. And Mm -hmm. I started to help me get a better big picture understanding. And once I had that big picture understanding, I was able to understand who I needed on my team as a tax professional to get me to where I wanted to go. Because I've had four different CPAs for these businesses trying to find the right person. And so it wasn't until I knew what I needed that I was able to find the right person. So I had to educate myself a little bit first before I could find Steven, who is my current CPA, who we're now like best friends. We talk all the time. (laughs) That's awesome. And, you know, I'm really glad that you say that too. You know, you had to kind of do some trial and error yourself because even for me, if I'm going online trying to find someone to help me with content to, um, you know, just delegate out things that I don't want to do. And I'm not really good at, for example, design, I'm terrible at design, I can't do it. I try my best. But, but in order, but in order to even communicate properly with what I wanted, what I need them to send them in the right direction that I wanted them, I had to learn a little bit about design, and, and, and get a few, you know, um, uh, you know, test runs under my belt in order to even communicate for the most part. Um, you know, which is really crazy, but it's one of those things that you have to think about as a business owner, um, you know, as you're just kind of going through that. Now, of course, that doesn't, that isn't really relevant to eBay (laughs) so Mm -hmm. much, you know, because the only designs that are necessary are just the pictures really. Mm -hmm. Um, but, but yeah, I, I love that. I love that. Um, and, and as far as so much, you need to know, like, you know, differences between vectors and pixels. And do you want this in PNG or do you want it in JPEG? Like, do you need a transparent background? White? Like what, what aspect ratio? Is it going to be tall, wide, square? Like there's a lot. So I feel you, <laughs> I get it, but that's what Elon Musk does. And, you know, he's not a rocket scientist, but he employs rocket scientists. And the way he does it is by learning enough on the surface to be able to have a conversation with an expert and being able to articulate his vision. You need to know enough to be able to articulate your vision. And once you can effectively get across what you want done, then your workers can be like, oh yeah, I can make that happen. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah. that's so true. I mean, uh, you know, for, for Elon to be, I mean, I, that's probably part of the reason why he's been so successful is because he's been able Mm -hmm. to, like you said, learn enough to communicate effectively. Gosh, Mm -hmm. I mean, because I've had so many um, experiences with, you know, my normal job and how I work seeing Mm -hmm. people not know what they want talking to especially to a technical person if you don't yeah. know how to speak their language you you are on two completely different fields and they're going to completely misinterpret the need yeah. and then it is just not going to you know work out right and you know all the back and forth it can be a lot it can definitely be a lot well said yeah yeah thank you thank you um and you know i'm kind of curious about about you too because you do you know run your um you know 
you do have a channel, you do have like an Instagram, you have a huge following. It's really great. I freaking love your website, by the way. I didn't tell you this the last time, but I love your website. I, I don't know who designed it, but they did a really good job. I um, appreciate it. Kim, yeah. let me shout her out. Kimberly Earp. She is my website designer. She's an artist first and foremost and a web designer second. She's really good at WordPress. She's super affordable. And I was it took me a long time to find her. It took me a long Ooh. time, but I'm very mm -hmm. happy with the work she puts out. She's good. But thank you. <laughs> yeah, seriously, I love the graphics and I like how it looks really seamless. Um, and, and I mean, for the content that you do on Instagram, I mean, like when you do your reels for your like mm -hmm. podcast clips, do you also contract that out? I mean, I guess, I guess for a lot of the things, do you contract out? Um, I don't edit anything. I only drive the ship. I only drive the ship and I only do what mm -hmm. only I can do. And I learned that lesson the hard way because as things start to come onto your plate, you know, I can't do it all. Like, sure, I could design the the listing images. Sure, I could edit the clips and do captions and split everything up. But um, not for long. <laughs> it's a lot. I tried it. I did it long enough to understand the process. And now I put a system in place, like, um, like literally like wrote down like a template of how I want things done. And then I go, um, I hit up Enrique and Enrique manages overseas contractors, people in Colombia and India and Kenya and Africa and all these different places who get paid like five to eight bucks an hour and they're killing it in their country. But for us, it's really affordable. They speak English, they have skills. And so, you know, I reach out to them and I do an initial like interview, check out their resume and I train them up and then I delegate. And so mm -hmm. I have a whole Slack channel built out with like 20 different contractors that I work with. And one's a video editor, one's a graphic designer, one does my podcast, one does social media management, one just does posting. And, you know, so I have all these different people. And so what happens is, is I'll jump on like a Zoom call, like uh, on, uh, to do a podcast or just to help somebody out on Zoom and I'll record it. And then that Zoom um, file goes into Dropbox and then I don't touch it again. My designer, my editor will pull it and chop it up into YouTube clips for me. We'll chop it up into a YouTube video. It'll turn into a podcast. It'll be turned into TikTok clips. And then it goes into a drive folder where my social media managers and people just pull from it and post as needed for me. A blog writer goes in and pulls it, rips the audio, and then turns it into a blog post. And it just all happens behind the scenes. And I don't do any of it anymore. And uh, it's called splintering content. I learned it from Gary Vee and it, it was one of the biggest time savers I ever implemented for myself. It's, That's it amazing. It's cool. That's mm -hmm. amazing. So then, so then when it comes to like creating content each week, how many hours do you think you spend? Like you, not, five. not your team. Oh, Maybe like five awesome. max. <laughs> You know, I don't, I don't like, and that's like me sitting down with like my, my journal and like, you know, drawing out the stuff that I like to draw out and like really do like the original content. And so my original content, I post maybe once or twice a week and everything else is just recycled filler from the splintered content that I have and just getting the message out there. I, I yeah, really love that. <laughs> Otherwise that I would so just awesome. be overwhelmed. You know, it's just a lot, you know, just Instagram. They want what? Three you know, stories a day, a post, an IGTV, two reels. Like, are you kidding me, dude? I'm not going to do all that. <laughs> oh, my God. But, I mean, yeah, I don't disagree with you. It's just, I mean, I don't even want to call it pay to play. It's like it's like pay with your time to attention. play. Yeah, The more exactly. attention you, they can get from you, the, that's, your, that's your payment. I mean, that's your payment with Facebook anyway. They're free apps. Mm -hmm. Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, all of them, they're free. And you pay with your attention. They monetized it. So they will sell your attention to people like me who has a business that wants to advertise to people like you. And that's how you pay. 
And um, a lot of people just don't, a lot of people don't know that. <laughs> Gosh, yeah, I know. I know there, there's always, you're, you're right. Every app is not truly free because even, even beyond that, even beyond that, you know, when it comes to users that are, you know, downloading um, uh, apps on their devices, uh, Google has a number has a number of what you are worth to them. Um, So, so, I mean, you know, as far as, as far as like advert, I mean, I guess it just comes back to advertising and what, and your data, because that, that's, that's a huge thing. Oh man. I remember I went to a conference a few years ago where they were talking about that and how like the biggest resource right now is just sheer, sheer data. And, and, you know, when people buy and sell the data and, and how they're making money. So free apps, I mean, free apps, they, they come at a price because of your data too. So it's, it's, it's really interesting to think about because you're like, oh man, you know, I can get all these apps for free, you know, like what's the benefit to them? Well, there is a benefit to them. They really oh, 100%, 100%. Yeah. Even when you're building a website, you know, you want to put a Facebook pixel and a Google tag on there so you can collect the the user's metadata. Because if you know who they are and where they're visiting from, you can and they pre make a purchase, you can target other people just like them. Mm-hmm. And so the the data game is uh, it's like this secret behind the scenes, like war between big companies sharing and selling <laughs> people's data. It's bizarre. <laughs> it is. It, it's funny. It's like the man behind the curtain, but everyone knows that he's there. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I mean, it, it's, it's definitely really interesting to think about because especially, you know, within the world of like Pokemon and markets and, and tracking mm-hmm. this and tracking that, you know, even, even from my perspective, someone who's trying to put marketing like marketplace data together so that mm-hmm. people can use that data to figure out, okay, what's the trend right now? And then what's coming up in the future? Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, you know, having that data all together in one place is like incredibly, incredibly tremendous. Like data couldn't be more important. And I think, um, you know, it doesn't seem like it, there is that much resemblance, but we had a similar time actually back in the seventies. We we were going through really? a very similar time. Yeah. Because what, what's happening right now is like, we have so I'm, we're going into a rant right now, but we have so much sure. data right now. We don't even, we haven't even fully analyzed it. <laughs> we we haven't even that. fully gleamed like all the insights that we could. And something similar happened back in the seventies, you know, when computers started to become cheaper and more accessible, um, you know, to everyone data back then, you know, people had data, but weren't gleaming all the insights, you know, squeezing out as much as it could um, from back in the day, which AI could potentially change that for us. (laughs) So, oh my gosh, yes, most definitely. And it's this, it's the sifting and sorting part. Collecting, it's not that difficult. I mean, you just, you know, you just divert the stream, you make a copy, you put it on, uh, on a server somewhere, but sorting through the data, and mm-hmm. aggregating it and turning it into something that we as humans can interpret is very challenging. And I, you're right, the only way is AI. And I would be so surprised if like the NSA and other big agencies were not using AI to, to scrape their data. Like, oh, absolutely. Makes sense. Mm-hmm. It makes I mean, sense. There's, oh. there's no way that one person, I, I've seen huge data sets and they're small probably compared to what they've got (laughs) there's no there's just no way it it would be it would be too much too much work for one person or or for humans to do it but then on top of that you know the fact that there is a a degree of um you know humans are flawed (laughs) we are flawed things and robots will do exactly what you tell them so they're going to be more reliable but they obviously have you know a limit 
um, yeah. because of where we're at. But yeah. there's a limit to the complexity of the task they can execute and there's no critical thinking. And so, yeah, you're right. There's only certain things that humans can do. But a lot of those things, those menial tasks are replaced by robots. You know, a lot of people think, too, that that's like it's bad. It's going to take away jobs. And I I disagree. I disagree 100 percent with that. It's going to create new jobs, different types of jobs. It's going to push people away from the, the menial, repetitive, blue-collar tasks into more of the knowledge work type of tasks. Think about it. Back in the day when Henry Ford brought out the car, there were horse-drawn buggies everywhere, everywhere. What, what about all the farriers? They're going to lose their jobs because they're not going to have horses to reshoe. Well, those farriers went on to go work in the production plants and make more money and have a better, more stable living. Like, it shifts. It's not. Mm -hmm. It's not a zero sum game. You don't take one away and add something. It's that. Yeah, it's so. It'll be interesting to see what happens with that, especially like trucking, um, stock trading, finance, lending. Oh my God, fin finance in general is changing so much. It's mm -hmm. going to be nuts. But back to your app with the data. I'm really curious. How are you <laughs> collecting all of it? Like, how do you manage all that? Are you using just like a bunch of different APIs or what? Um, yeah, it's going to be a collection of APIs. I mean, right now, the only API that makes sense to use that's available to me right now is going to be the ePay eBay marketplace API. Okay. Um, but in the future, I do plan on expanding that to multiple marketplaces because, you know, we've got Mercari, we've got yep. Facebook marketplace, we've got whatnot. I don't know if you use that. I haven't used no. that, but I've heard good things about it. Okay. Um, whatnot is just essentially, um, an auction house type place. But what the sellers can do is they can have like live streams uh, during the oh. auction to like talk about the items. It's really interesting because, because the app in itself, like it's built in marketing, which I really love. Out. Yeah. It's called just whatnot. Literally that one word. Um, Very interesting. I, I think um, the people behind that are pretty clever in my eyes, how they built that. Um, yeah, they built it for virality. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so that's, that's what I'm, that that's what it'll be, uh, for right now. Um, eBay marketplace is going to be the biggest, uh, because I want to be able to, you know, how can I aggregate data in such a way where I can actually give, you know, market cap numbers as close to accurate as I can market cap numbers with, you know, the volume of sales, the sales today, the sales yesterday, um, yeah. the sales in the last seven days, what were those items? Um, how many of the same item was sold? You know, that's mm -hmm. really interesting to mm -hmm. me that not as many people talk about, because, you know, if I'm looking through data, like Terapeak data from eBay or whatever, mm -hmm. and I'm seeing certain kinds of cards being sold within the same day, within over the course of a few days for certain certain types of items. I'm like, hmm, that's really interesting, you know, and, and then that's just a nugget of something to investigate and something to look at. So really oh, interesting yeah. stuff. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, have you heard, uh, I, I just found out today, so I haven't been able to look at it too much. I don't think I have access to the beta, but eBay right now has, is coming up with a beta, um, tool that, uh, users can use. It's a price guide, uh, for oh. cards. For, for sports, for Pokemon, for Magic, all those trading cards. Very interesting. I don't have access to it. I think you just go on the app and you just look at your My eBay and you see, mm. um, and you'll see like 
collector price guide or something like that. Um, and then you'll have access to it. But that that's really interesting because now eBay, in a way, has become a competitor of mine because it's pretty much the same thing, right? And and the great thing for them is that they already have the data. So the making the product just makes so much sense, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I see what you're saying. Um, I can see how they would compete compete with you on like the price data and things like that and the market data. But man, to be able to look at my entire collection in one place and see like the current market value of all my cards Mm -hmm. would be something that has never been possible before. Mm-hmm. And I think yeah. that would be so great. I would be, oh my God, I would be so excited. It, it's, it's, oh, it's going to be so great. One of these days we'll have to get together um, so that I can show you uh, some of the, uh, the wireframes that I've got going on yes. right now. I just started yes. putting data on it. Oh, it looks so, it looks so great. It's I would still, love to see that. Oh, it's, you know, maybe, maybe after this, I'll show you the one or two pages that I have built. I can give you the inside scoop on that, but it'll, it'll be really great. It's going to look really nice. Um, I I can't wait to like officially put it out. I technically, like, I don't know that I would say that I've technically launched it. I'm kind of waiting until the end of, of August to like officially launch. Cause I also had to do a a, a rebranding because I found out that when I first did the LLC and when I first looked at Cardfolio, it was the trademark was in progress, but it didn't show like so. So that previous uh, trademark was shown dead. And then I literally looked like two weeks ago, two, two and a half weeks ago. And and it said that it was live now. So what industry is that previous trademark in? Do you know? Um, It is an app for credit cards. I'm not oh. fully aware. Yeah. Yeah. You cool. can actually well, then go you're, on- then you're good because trademarks are industry specific. So if like uh, a trademark, someone has like um, scorch markers, a bad example, we'll say Vanader. If someone has Uh Vanader in the automotive industry, I can still use Vanader for the business and education industry and it still works. Um, So trademarks are industry specific. So yeah, yeah, absolutely. 100%. And so you could have Cardfolio for the financial institution and Cardfolio for the the trading card app too. Like I would uh, highly recommend you look into it. Hey buddy. My son just ran in with a big spoonful Aww. of peanut butter. Oh, that's the hi? best. Let's just say hi really quick. And then I'm going to give you to mom. Let's say hi. Say hi, buddy. Hi. Oh, Just nice to meet her. you. <laughs> oh, he's a cutie. Okay. Mama. <laughs> I love it. Oh, I just moved and cute. got a new office. and um, it's cool. I noticed the background was a little bit different. I'm like, ooh, I, I, he's serving his ankles. I don't know. <laughs> I know. I know. I had my camera set up and I only have three pictures hung up in my office that I got the other day. Um, oh, dude, I got this cool one of, of Vegeta, though, the other day, but I don't know where I'm going to put it. It just ooh, takes me yeah. back to when I was a kid. You know what I mean? I used is, to that, run... is that off display? Yeah. 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 I like being able to hang stuff on the magnets. I think it's a cool <laughs> way to do it. Oh, yeah. Um, but oh, yeah. yeah, I used to run home every day, like in elementary school to catch Dragon Ball Z at 530. And it was a big part of me growing up, Pokemon and Dragon Ball Z, those two things. And so now as an <laughs> adult, being able to spend my money and um, collect those things again, it's special. It's special. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It, it's funny because I was having a conversation with someone the other day talking about like, you know, when you're a kid, you you're in the toy aisle and you're thinking, oh, you know, when I'm grown up and I have all this money, I'm going <laughs> to spend it on this, this, this and this. So like a big thing for me as a kid was Legos. Right. And so, um, of course, you know, I pass by the Legos and it still has this like pull for me. But the reason mm-hmm. why I just don't go and spend money on Legos is because, OK, great. 
I get the Lego, I spend however much it is, I open it up, I build it, and then what do I do with it? Like, I don't have a place where I can show it or, or put it. Like, that's too much. It's too much, so I don't buy it because I got I got nowhere to put it. <laughs> I feel you. I 100% feel you. Um, there's so many things that I want to, but it's like, do I really need more stuff? Or do I want to stick but to yes. the stuff that's super, super important? I know, right? I know. <laughs> Let me ask you this question. I was thinking about, well... I didn't think about it. I've already kind of started doing it, but putting together a YouTube channel where I just go dive deep and talk about individual Pokemon cards, mm-hmm. the artist, the origination of the artwork, like maybe my favorite Pokedex entry, compare the size of the Pokemon to the size of the human, like in real life, and just dive Ooh, deep into a single card, you know, the pronunciation, mm-hmm. the typing, and like just interesting, unique things. And, um, Maybe just like a couple minutes, five minutes going deep into individual cards from different sets that are fun. Would you watch something like that? I probably would. I I I I probably would. Cause that, that stuff is fun. A dumb idea. <laughs> no, it's not dumb. And I think I, I think a lot of kids out there would watch it too. Um, mm. you know, because sometimes you just want something in the background that's that's nice. And if you have like a number of them, you could just, you know, put it on an autoplay and it's like, okay, how tall would I be compared to Gengar? You know? Yeah. <laughs> like exactly. Like, yeah. And, and I mean, I, I don't know. I think I think those things are fun. Um cool. and I mean put- what's really what's really cool too is there's a lot of really interesting artists that you know not many people talk about, like like those Masaki promo cards, those are super yep. interesting to me. I freaking love the art on those. I, I definitely want to own them one day. They're a little expensive, but for mm-hmm. for me anyway. But or what I'm willing to spend, I guess rather. But but yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, I think that that would be really interesting. Get a deep dive on like you know Arita. That'd be really cool. Um, I don't know how many people actually cover um, the artists. Like I know a lot of people can know right? and cite their names, but they don't really talk about the artists and like mm-hmm. their career and what they did and what Pokemon they designed and for how many sets and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I don't know. And I don't some, know if it's and out some there. artists are companies too, you know, and uh, it's, I don't know. I just think it's interesting to kind of like dive a little bit deeper, but I want to ask you, so you talk about stuff in the background, like obviously uh-huh. you put on like lo-fi on YouTube and just like listen to it in the background. How sometimes. did you know? How did okay, you know? Cool. That is what I, I do. I <laughs> so I had this idea. I was like, all right, well, I listen to lo-fi in the background anyway. And it's usually just like Chilled Cow or some of these other websites where or channels where they just, you know, it's just a simple animation. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. you know, it looks nice. It looks nice. But I was like, okay, um, I could do that too. Like I'm going to grab some royalty-free music and and do that too. But what would be my visual? So I set up a table and I set up my camera and I did like a four-hour Pokemon card sorting. I just took all my collection that I needed to sort through, and I uh-huh. just sorted through every single card and organized it. So Oof. it's like someone sorting cards of like actual Pokemon cards in the background, and it's just music, and it's just made to be put on in the background. Do so it. So I just it. finished editing it. I'm gonna put it up there. I'm gonna see how it does, just for fun. Uh, send me I a like link. Do okay. it. That that'll be so much fun. I, I okay. thought about doing something similar, um, because you know you've seen the like the anime girl that's like doing her homework. Yeah. I thought like you know what if you just get cards and you sleeve them and it's just like an endless animation of someone sleeving Pokemon cards. You know. Thank you. Yes. We have like, the same idea. How pleasant would that be to look at? Like you're just sitting there and you're like, oh snap! I remember that Gengar. Shit, <laughs> that one's cool. Yeah. Yeah. yeah How just- many? 
sore for for four hours? Like, was it straight four hours mm, for it? No, um, I had the tripod set up and I took breaks and I did it over the course of a couple of days. But uh-huh. I just rolled out a big chunk of leather that we had on, on this plastic table and I put all my cards out and we were moving right into this new place. So I'm like, okay, I need to get everything sleeved properly, not in these competition sharp pointy ass like sleeves but nice penny (laughs) sleeves and then Mm -hmm. put away and sorted through you know like all of my full art and you know my secret rares and my rares my hollows and reverses and everything Mm -hmm. and so I just laid them all out and started going through it and um, it was fun it was it was chill it was a good time (laughs) I mean that's awesome I I love that Mm -hmm. you know what's funny what's funny to like collectors is is that's tedious and monotonous and the same shit but that but at the same time it's the weirdest like relaxed you know no pressure like let me just do this for fun it's such a weird thing collectors like we are weird sometimes we like some Mm -hmm. weird shit (laughs) yep i started buying like misprints like i I really like misprints like i'm i'm really Mm -hmm. into it because i really like um I did a lot of research on how cards are made. And so I have a picture now in my mind. I understand how the cards are made. So I can look at a misprint and can tell you at what point in the process that misprint happened. Like ah. what color jet on the printing wheel. Like did it happen before and after? Like it's it's really interesting. And so like I chase after these random ones. Like um, Dark Arbok has a misprint in the date. And like, you know, some Japanese cards like have like hollow. I, I just love that shit. And mm-hmm. so to be able to grab something like that, study it learn about it and then talk about it on a YouTube channel just brings me happiness. And I'm straight up just doing it for fun. And I have I, you done that yet? Cool. Is that video um, out yet? Not the one on the Gengar or the Arbok, but no, I haven't recorded. Okay. Well, I'm I'm here for that too, because I don't know much yeah. about the printing process. But I, I love Miss Prince too. There's a lot of really interesting ones like the uh, mm-hmm. you know, the blue dot um mm-hmm. the blue dot of Vulpix. I've got a few mm-hmm. of those in the shadow list. <laughs> um cool. Yeah, I'm waiting for them to get back from uh, CDC already. It'll probably be 12 months from now. But, you know, anyways, I've why, kind of forgotten CDC? about it. Um, because at the time, they were the only ones that was taking um, subs. Uh, because that when I had put it in, I, I had sent two subs, one in April, one in May. And by then, PSA had already stopped taking bulk orders. I mean, they're not even taking bulk orders right now, if I'm not mistaken. They said that they would open up. Uh, services in July, but it's still very limited and it's very expensive. So I was going to CGC. Why do you think they do that? Why do you think they don't grow? Is it to keep a control at a bottleneck on the market so it doesn't get inundated with graded cards? Or do you um, think it's just, they just don't know how to run their business? So, um, so I could see why you would think, you know, either one would be a possible answer. And I think I think it's a little bit of in the middle, but maybe more so leaning towards bottlenecking because what's happening is they're right now grading. They're, they're up to date. They've graded everything through September of 2020, I believe. So they're working on October, 2020. That's how far behind they are. And there are millions of cards behind. One of the thing that I, one of the things that I liked about PSA before is that they were the one grading company that was a publicly owned company. So they Mm. had quarterly meetings and you knew how many cards they had on back order. So that's how I know, you know, it was like, it was like a meeting in October. Yeah. October of last year, they mentioned there were such and such Mm. millions of cards behind, um, Mm -hmm. you know, just, just for bulk orders. And, and, and so with that said, 
um, they thought that, okay, so if I price hike things a little bit, we can open up services more, but then keep people from submitting cards, right? Because they thought that surely, you know, these price hikes, this is going to be too much. It's not going to make, there's not the economics behind it. People will not send so many, but, but that's not necessarily been the case. So with their, with their price hikes, it hasn't, it didn't slow them down enough. So then that's why they pulled back altogether on that, just so that they can get caught up. Um, so so with PSA, because they're now owned by a private company, so they're not a publicly owned company. Um, so the numbers are not transparent anymore uh, from, from that perspective versus, you know, compared to having the quarterly meetings. Uh, Nat Turner, I believe, he is now the CEO. Um, it just happened like maybe a month or so ago. I don't know within the past few weeks or a month or so. And um, he's he's taken the reins over the previous CEO. And um, they also, sometime this year, earlier this year, acquired a OCR company. I don't know how familiar you are with OCR technology. Not a whole lot. Okay. Well, long story short, it's just, um, it's just pretty much a computer extracting words from a page. So if they were to scan a page, you know, documents or anything like that, them. Yeah. So what they're doing is they're taking that technology, incorporating that into their business um, to at least help with the identification and the verification or authentication stage. There aren't that many details, Um, you know, so this is just me speculating. But but they did. So they do now own an OCR company. Um, So it's really good expertise to have. I still think there are humans in, involved in the grading process because I think there is a level of you can't delegate everything to computers, um, yeah. and so and so I think the market would be really hesitant to potentially if everything was now completely computerized. Um, but but uh, yeah, they still are incorporating graders because they went through a huge um, a huge fanfare of hiring a whole bunch of people onto the market. So, so I think long story short, I think that they're doing a lot of things. I I think they're doing a a lot of things to hopefully get up to speed. You know, if you're behind millions of cards, who knows is how much of it is Pokemon even who knows? I know it's going to be a ton of NBA stuff. Like it's, it's kind of disgusting seeing the, yeah, the demand on sports cards. It's, it's disgusting to see the volume of PSA 10 cards for certain certain players and then and then the and then just it demanding such a high price you know i don't know if that is truly the demand or if it's manipulation because if you know these markets really well you know even even someone who's in the antiques if they know how these markets operate because this is you know pokemon magic sports cards you know modern sports cards at least very speculative so you know you could very easily go in and manipulate markets um Mm -hmm. It's insane to me. Yes, yo, you 100% can manipulate markets, especially if you're buying a certain car. Like, say you buy all the rookie Jordan PSA 10s, you know, you buy all of them. All of them. Every single one of them you buy <laughs> hikes the price. Like, dude, like Logan Paul did it with uh, first edition cards. Um, he bought them all. He, mm-hmm. like, he was buying as many as he could. It drove the price up, you mm-hmm. know, and everybody else feels a little residuals of that. And not to say it was market manipulation, but... It's smaller than we think, I think. Mm-hmm. I think it's a little smaller than we think. But it's really interesting nonetheless to talk about this stuff. And so I'm really excited for 
for a card folio so I can keep track of my freaking shit. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know. And and now I got to do some real mad research on trademarks now because I was going to trade it. I was going to change it to CardFox. Um because you know, really? still the same. Yeah, I yeah. mean, you know, it doesn't hit the same. Like in my head, I still say cardfolio, um, but I'm gonna have to do some massive research and honestly, probably talk to a lawyer. Do um, you have any money to spend on trademarks? Um, so I had one in progress, and then I went ahead and canceled it, um, just because you know I saw, well, hey, like this is now a live trademark. You know, they 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 didn't communicate to me, hey, by the way, you should look at this first, consider this first before. Yeah. Um, you know, you know, canceling this because uh, we had started the process, but I don't think they put any paperwork together. Yeah. Um, but I think I might go ahead too and talk to a lawyer just to get their input because. Okay. You know. Do you want me to DM you the name of a of a of a trademark attorney that I know? Oh yes, yes, please, okay. please do, cool. please do. Yeah, I appreciate that. With her, with her name after afterwards, she's super cool, and uh, maybe at least can provide you some insight. But you know, yeah, I know that some people get trademarks. They trademark the whole business before they even start. They get it all set up and squared away with the searches and everything, and you know, it can cost upwards of a couple thousand dollars sometimes. You know? Yeah, but sometimes it's worth it if you're building something tangible and something that you really want to do the right way. Sometimes it's worth it. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I mean, I think um, so, you know, I've made a lot of mistakes or at least a lot of things I would have maybe done differently um, mm. as, as 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 I've been working through this project. I mean, probably the first thing would be scope. Like, can yeah. you just do something a little bit easier, girl? You've got to have to be so ambitious. Why? Why are you like this? You know, but um, but yeah, I think I think one of those things is is really understanding that probably would be, you know, next time around, it'll be easy. Next time around, this would be so much more simple. Um, yep. But I, I, on the to the same token, though, the nice thing is that, you know, as I've been going through and validating, you know, demand and do people want this? Do they not want it? Do they care about it? Do like you know, what about it? What about it is so interesting or intriguing to people, you know, understanding that I, I don't mind putting it out there a little bit because it's still small enough where, you know, I don't think anyone is going to necessarily like take the name per se. Um, you know, I just have to make sure I have to secure the proper like domains and stuff like that. I mean, that that's always going to be something pretty necessary to do in the beginning, but yeah, but but, you know, on the other hand, too, you could spend thousands of dollars doing it all the right way and then realizing you're not in the right business, like it's not the right thing. So yep. so trying to, you know, like take steps forward, you know, on on both sides of it uh, is it's hard. It's hard for sure. But um, yep. at some point, you're just going to have to take a risk. <laughs> and so I that's kind of you. where I'm at now. So I, I feel pretty confident about it and, and validating um demand um that i feel pretty confident and then at some point um once i'm really ready really ready to actually have something to put out there i'm gonna have to do your uh splinter strategy which is i'm gonna have to have people um i mean so in in the app world it's called having a go-to market strategy um so those are things that i am planning for and like okay i'm gonna do this i'm gonna do this and do this but I just do not have the time to the capacity to do all that myself to dev and to manage and to market. There's no way, but being involved in the process, putting together the plan and the strategy and then finding the right people to execute. That's something that I can do. Yeah, correct. And then you just need to find the right people. And that's a matter of being on your network, asking other people going on Fiverr, Upwork, 
you know, wherever you can find someone to help you make that vision real. Like, I love it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well said. It has to be your vision and people mm -hmm. have to know exactly what you want to accomplish or they can't get it done. And right. So, but, but yeah, you're right. You, you can't do that until you have a product to sell. Like, what are you going to go to market with right now? You know, right. but as soon as you have that thing, oh, Jess, Jess that's so exciting. I know. I'm so excited. It's, so <laughs> it's cool. going to be so great. It's going to be so much fun. I, I, I love it. it it's going to be a great project. Um, and, and, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll definitely let you know, uh, for sure when I have something, but you know, we'll, we'll have to stay, we'll have to stay after this and I can do a quick screen share of a little bit of what I have so far. So that'll be really fun. Um, but you know, what we haven't really talked about, so, so we've talked about a lot of things. We've talked about a crap ton of things. And, and, and I think, I think a lot of people probably got a ton of business value out of this just because it's so relevant. It's like what they're doing. Like all of us are buying and selling cards at the end of the day, probably not, you know, for me, for example, not really a main focus of mine, but you mm -hmm. know, for some things you have to kind of know when to dip out and, 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 yeah. or when to stay the course. Right. But we've talked about business We've talked about data. What we haven't really talked about is your collection oh, and yeah. your story, because I, I already know your story, but mm -hmm. people don't know the your story of when you were a kid and when you had cards. Oh, and then yeah. when you, so if you want to kind of tell people a little bit more about how you are as a collector and, and when you got back into collecting versus when you were a kid and, Dude. you know. <laughs> I love that. When I was, I was just like the memories start to drip into my brain, like, like paint, like it just comes in. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, it was so fun. Cause in 2000, mm -hmm. that's what it all happened. That's when it all happened in 2000. And I was 12 years old. I was 12 years old, 11, 12, 13, like at the peak of Pokemon, I was a preteen and a teenager. It was the perfect time for me because I was playing Game Boy games and I got blue version. We had red version. I had the cards. I had a whole first edition set that I collected. I was hardcore into it like i even collected the the japanese um you know the the new starter pokemon from silver the cyndaquil and totodile and all that stuff i had mm -hmm. all these japanese promo sets like oh like it was so sick so i ended up collecting i would go to the mall every day with my buddy cameron we get dropped off at the mall we'd go to wizards of the coast we would open fossil and jungle packs um it was yes it was like the peak <laughs> of my childhood right waiting in line at the movies to get the pokemon promo cards the mewtwo's ancient mew like uh, it was the best thing ever. And so I actually had that little red Pikachu binder and I collected all the whole base set first edition, had them all in order, sleeved, like they looked good. They looked Dude. really good. And um, it was a beautiful collection. And I made an appointment at the local um, collection place down the street where I was living at the time because I wanted to sell my collection. I was ready to move on. I was ready to buy yo-yos and tech decks and skateboards and stuff <laughs> and grow up a little bit. And so I sold the entire thing for 300 bucks. Maybe it was like 360, I don't remember. But I got some cash and I thought it was pretty cool. I'm like, hey, look at that. Like, look at me, I'm 12 years old. Look what I did. Um, I wish I still had it, but but I still played the games religiously. I played just about every single Pokemon game. I've completed Pokedexes. I've got shiny charms. Like, I love the game. But I'm the type of person who's a, I'm a min-maxer. That's my style. I like to EV train from level one, the perfect genders, the perfect traits. Like, I like to do that. I like to min-max and get the best <laughs> of the best. And um, now that I'm an adult and I have adult money finally, and, you know, Pokemon starting to have a resurgence and it's back on my radar. And I'm like, oh my God, like, I would love to buy some memories. And so now 
that's what I do. I chase after those memories and I chase after those things that like I just really like. I just really participate. And Crobat is my favorite Pokemon. So out of all the Pokemon out there, Crobat's my favorite. And so I'm starting my my collection now as an adult, just collecting all the Crobats. I just want, to, <laughs> I just want all the Crobats. A master set Crobat. Yep. That, that'd be Crobat. great. That'd be great. <laughs> and the, the reason was is because when we were when I was playing like Ruby and and um the, the first game with like Rayquaza and stuff. And mm-hmm. did I say that right? I've heard people pronounce it differently. You know what? That's how I would have said it. Okay. So anyways. At the time, Crobat was the fastest Pokemon in the game, but he's, no one could beat his base speed. And so if you had a Crobat as your starter, he could be a total griefer. You could give him Toxic, Confuse Ray, Double Team, and, and Giga Drain. And so you would be unhittable. They would be confused. Um, wait, they'd be heavily poisoned. And then I would be draining their HP from them. And I just caused problems for everyone that I battled. And I had a blast <laughs> with it. And it was just one of my one of my things. And uh-huh. so consequently, that's how Crobat became my, my favorite Pokemon is from using <laughs> fights and whatnot. But that's awesome. That's a that's a freaking powerful setup you got there. I I I think I stopped playing after yellow, so I don't know Rayquaza, mm-hmm. but dude. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> that, like, that's some back serious in the day, play. like do you remember playing blue and red version? And then like there's the SSN trick and there's the truck and there's there's the stone. Like maybe you could get strength and you could move that boulder out of the way. And maybe there's yeah. a new hidden under there, or or you know, maybe there's some trick at Cinnabar Island, or maybe there's really poker gods, you know, and the Missingo stuff. And like, <laughs> dude, I was deep, deep, deep Jess. And so now I'm like, I get little twang or little yeah, pangs of like nostalgia from that, and it feels good. It feels good. And game will share that with my kids and it's cool. It's oh, really that's cool. awesome. So so they're playing like uh so they're playing the old games on the Game Boy? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh my that's awesome. Plays. Yeah, I've I played um Sun and Moon with my daughter. We collected everything together and you know, it's awesome. We we still go to the store, we still open up packs together, we still look at the collection together and whatnot. It's <laughs> have you been playing uh Pokemon Unite? Nope. On the Switch? Haven't done it yet. Nope, haven't done it yet. I haven't it's played actually Shield really and fun. I haven't played Pokemon Unite and I haven't played Pokemon Snap. Oh, okay. Okay, gotcha. So yeah. Out of those three, Sword and Shield, Snap, and Unite, which one should I do first? Um, I like Unite. I haven't played any okay. of the other ones. I'm gonna write down. <laughs> uh, well, it, what's really cool about uh, Pokemon Unite is it's just for free for download. Um, and then it's uh, I, I haven't played any League of Legends, but it's exactly like League of Legends, just uh, for Pokemon. So okay. it's got matches, ranked matches. You know, you get your Pokemon, you do your setups, your builds, and da 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 da. Very fun. Sometimes. Your ass kicks, kicks. Sometimes you kick their ass. Like it's fun. You know, I, I wish I knew like whether or not I was just like beating up little kids. Like sometimes <laughs> that's how I feel. But then also sometimes I feel like it's just a bunch of people my age playing Pokemon Unite. So, <laughs> but anyways. yes, I love that. I'm gonna have to check it out because, man, I've been playing the trading card game online, but oh. I haven't yet to play Pokemon Unite, and uh, I'm excited. Oh, that's nice. Have you have you ever done like a competition, like a card legit? tournament or anything like never that? never a tournament or anything no no mm. gotcha. no but having an understanding of how the game is played really made collecting more enjoyable because trainer cards are now more enjoyable for me to look at mm-hmm. um you know what i mean because i'm like oh how could this work into a strategy and i actually read it instead of just look at the art and uh <laughs> it's added another layer to it that's been fun uh-huh oh yeah absolutely um i mean trainer cards are definitely underappreciated i will say Mm -hmm. so it's kind of nice but you know and and honestly to me i kind of feel like i do need to at some point really pick back up on the trading card game because i maybe played like one or two times i don't Mm -hmm. really know how to play i can't remember it's been so long and 
-hmm. like a few years ago, I tried to learn Magic Gathering. So I have mm -hmm. Magic and Pokemon in my head, and I don't know which one's the which one's not the one. Yep. Do you know what I'm saying? So yeah, um, in Hearthstone. Oh gosh, I haven't even gotten into Flesh and Blood yet. I need to. <laughs> I need to learn Flesh and Blood. I have some boxes that I need to open up, um, and I'm considering buying some MetaZoo. I might get some MetaZoo today. Um, Dang, really? Yeah, I've heard yeah. about it, but I have. I know like nothing. I just saw like a couple posts on Instagram. Whatever. Yeah, I, I know nothing either. I'm not too wild about the art. Not too wild mm -hmm. about it because some some of it looks kind of funky to me. And I was never like a Dungeons and Dragons person. Yeah, yeah. Apparently, there's a lot of nostalgia with with Dungeons and Dragons, like those early monster books. And I don't even really know oh. much about what I'm talking about right now. But apparently, that's where a lot of the inspiration comes from. I've but been I mean, D &D a handful of times. So. Oh, really? Yeah. 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 I, I still don't even know that much, but it's one of those things that, okay, so the market's talking about it. People are buying it. There's a little bit of hysteria uh, right now because there's like not enough price history to like really justify some of these prices. I'm like, okay, what's going on here? <laughs> you mm -hmm. know, but, but with that said, that doesn't mean that I don't want to taste it and get a feel yeah. for it. And and make my my own opinion on it. Um, yes. So you know, I don't know. We'll see. Rudy from Alpha Investments. I don't know if you know him. He's a great YouTuber. I learned so much from him. He's mostly Magic the Gathering, but he okay. does talk about Pokemon and stuff like that because he used to be a financial professional, and so now he applies that. He has a business, and he he speculates um, full time. You know, I like that in Magic like that. and in Pokemon. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I made a Very YouTube video about the financial implications of buying a master case of XY evolutions the other day. I finally recorded Oh, interesting. It. Oh, nice. Yeah. Okay. And um, I was like, why did I spend $5,000 on this box of Pokemon cards? That's unopened. Like, let me explain. <laughs> and uh, I went through the whole thing about, I bought a pack of XY evolution. I could show like there's 216 of these in here. You know, uh -huh. the reason I bought it is because it is the only way that you can pull a Charizard. It's the only way you can pull a Charizard, a base set artwork Charizard at least, is mm -hmm. from XY Evolutions, unless you're going to spend an arm and a leg. Right. And right. so, yeah, like I'm just banking on the fact that XY Evolutions is going to be the next base set in 20 years. So and, so uh, you're going to keep that sealed for now? For I'm like keeping another it sealed until I'm rich enough to open it and it won't affect me or yes. until it is, um, you know, just, yeah, and something that's needed. <laughs> but yeah, it's a, it's a long-term play. I don't really know, honestly, but I mean... Some of these cards that I have now in my prized possessions are over 20 years old. And then like, I don't know. We'll see what happens. <laughs> hell yeah. Hell yeah. Let's yeah. go. Well, I'm, a, I'm a buyer and holder. That's what I do. Yeah. Yeah. I I, I definitely, I, I can understand that for sure. No doubt. Which by the way, seeing the chilling rain, we should open up oh, the pack. Sure. Well, as in you, I, I'd like to see what you got here. I'd like to see how lucky yeah, we too. are. Big money, big money, big money. Okay. I don't know which thing. are the big cards for children. I don't even Rain. either. I don't even know either, to be honest with you. We're just going to see what we get. And maybe your viewers can tell us. <laughs> which okay, one's good? Go. Yeah, we'll see. Where's the camera at here? Okay, ready? I'm going to go one, two, three, four. Flip it. Okay, let's see. Cool. Is it focused? Oh, it. yeah, it is. Okay, cool. We got the mm -hmm. close energy. I can't even read it because it's mirrored and backwards. <laughs> <laughs> and out of focus, but we're going to do it anyway. All right, another trainer card. All right. Awesome. Wow, trainer cards are plenty on this one. 
Was that Scorbunny? No doubt. Oh, oh that's Diglett, no doubt. That's cute. Yeah. yeah. I like that's that. Cool artwork. Mm-hmm. I really like that artwork. I'm a big fan. I dork out on some of the art. I really like it a lot. <laughs> hey, same. I, I love it. There's some good stuff, no doubt. All right. Some of these I recognize. Oh, there's the Ooh, reverse. Oh, you got Diglett. the reverse. I'm cool with that. And Urshfu, hollow. Okay, cool. I don't know what that <laughs> is, but hey, I like the art. There's so like many. The There's hollow. like 900 Pokemon now, Jess. What? Yeah, Out of all crazy. the regions? I can't keep up. I can't keep it's up. The only one I know exactly, is the Kanto yeah. region. Yeah, it's actually a secret rare. No, not secret rare. Just an ultra rare with a white star or Shifu. Cool. All I right. Like well, well, I would say we you won. <laughs> That's a good one. I, good, I'm gonna check it out. Cool. I like it. Plus, dude, just the 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 crack of that pack right there, and just holding them. Ah, oh. and that smell. It's, a win. it's got a it's got a new card smell. Oh yeah, yeah. it there, there's nothing like it. There's nothing like it. Well, it's fun. Well, I really enjoyed well, it. I appreciate your time today. I'm so happy that I was able to get you on. Um, oh my gosh, I, I know that there's gonna be so many nuggets in here for people. So because I want to be respectful. Uh, let everyone know where they can find you so they can reach oh, out and cool. say, Hey, yeah. If you're interested in anything I do, or you want to like learn from me about business, or you just want to learn from me on my YouTube channel, my social media, just go to vanitor.com. Um, just like my name, that's my website. I have everything there and you can hit me up on Instagram or TikTok. You can always DM me or email me. I'll help you in whatever way I can. If I have the time to help you, I will. And that's my goal. That's my goal. Awesome. Awesome. That works. I appreciate it. Well, Thank you so much for everyone being on today. I so much appreciate it, Will. I see that you are in the comments. I don't know if you're still on, but thank you.